Has the current political climate, the rise and fall of nations, the subversion of truth got you down? Well, buckle your seatbelts, because all that and more is coming in the rest of the Minor Prophets. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon. We are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome to today's podcast. We're so excited to talk more about the Minor Prophets. Yeah. And, and hey, don't forget yeah. to like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Yeah. You sound a little hoarse. Well, you, you been, know. You've been feeling under the weather? A little under the weather. A couple weeks now? A couple months. A couple months. <laughs> a couple, months a couple years now. You know. No, it's all the screaming at your ch- children. Well, you know, they're lost your voice. My daughter's too, and you know, she needs some talking to. Yeah, as they say. Hey, Merry Christmas! You got your Christmas colors on. I do. I, I missed the memo. Next week is going to be my um, Christmassy, my most Christmassy shirt, though. Whoa! Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Yep. That's a lot of pressure. This I'm leading up to it right now. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. exciting. But it's going to be after Christmas. So. Oh, that's right. It's okay. <laughs> it's <a> celebration. Anyway. <laughs> um. Sweet. Well, let's uh, let's talk about minor profits, man. We got some good ones today. Yes, I love it. We need Nahum, Habakkuk, 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 or Habakkuk, Habakkuk, um, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. That's my favorite. Santa Zephaniah, Cruz yeah, Zephaniah, Santa Cruz, well. Santa Cruz's translation, Habakkuk, no. Zephaniah, no. who's not Zechariah. It's very confusing. Oh yes, it's <clears throat> too similar of names. But we we're in the thick of it here, guys. We are so close to the end. This is second to last episode, right? I know. Can you Crazy. smell? Smell that sweet victory coming. I can smell the victory. I can taste it. It's a marathon. You're on mile 26. Yep. You're just like that close to the finish line. So Have you ever ran a marathon? Of course not. Why would I do something so insane I as totally that? agree. I was going to say, if you had, you're insane. No. Yeah. What? I, have you seen the marathon runners? <clears throat> like like do you want... On the side of the road? Yeah, I've seen No, that. just like how... Like the ones you do professionally. Like pee themselves? They're like... They're like... They're like gaunt. It's very sad. Yeah. No offense if you're a marathon runner. Maybe maybe people are into that. I don't know. I just feel like sprinters are ripped, and then long distance runners they look so sad. Yeah, well they, because like they need a the whole life is running long distance. It's yeah. not it's not good for you. Like, I don't think it's good for you. Yeah. Um, I mean I don't really run yeah, at all, so that's also not good for me. Right? But high yeah, impact. Yeah. I think maybe I shouldn't be wor- too worried about what's you know it's bad for me. But um, I'm getting back into the exercise though. It's going to happen. Um, I don't believe you. Let's. How do we get on? Okay, let's just talk about uh, the minor prophets. The Bible. The Bible. Let's focus. Stay focused. Yes. yes. Um, so we've we're in the middle of the minor prophets. Yep. The twelve in Hebrew, and and they're one book in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now we're gonna be we're looking at them. You know, as they lay in the English translation that you have. So one book at a time. So we're just going to take these three books today, mm-hmm. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and we're going to look through them. So Habakkuk. Let's, time is short. There's a lot to cover. Mm. Let's get into Nahum. Let's do it. Nahum. Nahum means comfort, compassion. It's very ironic. Man, just uh, like just hearing the word comfort, I feel comforted. Mm. You know? Reminds yeah. of Isaiah 40, comfort my people. So I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I feel like we've gone through some pretty intense books in the, in the Prophets. I'm ready for a book that's just about God's comfort. Okay, so look at verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So, yeah, so that, that's, that doesn't feel very comforting. And the, the book of Nahum is about a lot of judgment. So kind of a weird name. Yeah. Kind of strange. But there is, I think, a, a comforting aspect to the fact that God judges. 
So we'll look at that a little bit. But Justice. comfort, compassion, doesn't seem very comfort or compassion, at least at the beginning. I think that's one of the best in, in, intros to a book, maybe next to Hosea, as, to, as far as attention grabbers, right? Yeah. That, like first line of the speech. The yeah, that's, that's a powerful one. Yeah. So God is going to judge, and God's uh, crosshairs are set on Nineveh. Right. So Nineveh, which was given mercy in the time of Jonah, now, this is after the, the exile of the northern kingdom, mm-hmm. after the victory of Assyria, now God is saying, uh, Assyria, your time is short. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the world power for very long, and you're going to have a brutal ending. Right. Now, Nahum is kind of a strange book. There's really, in terms of the minor prophets, there's no day of the Lord language. Mm-hmm. At least not directly. There's no end times or latter days language, no salvation message, really. And the question would be, is it relevant for us? It's kind of a strange book. Now, as I mentioned, this this dates to the mid-7th century B.C. So uh, this is a prophecy that's very close to the actual destruction of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nahum is a generation before that destruction. And it's an amazing testament to the, the, the prophecy of the Old Testament, right? The accuracy and the predictive accuracy of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So it's an amazing book in that way. But let's let's dive into it. I don't want to spend too much time in Nahum. I know we got lots of big Nahum fans, so sorry if you're <laughs> if you're disappointed by that. But um, and so anyway, so it starts off with Nahum one two. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. Keith, I think this is actually your life verse, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, I, I have it in... You start every day by reciting this. I have it, you know, my daily devotionals. I have it written on the bathroom mirror. Yeah. You know, you I, like, don't, I don't actually... It's actually not my life first. You know, oftentimes the people we disciple actually become, you know, more powerful than we are, you know, mm. oftentimes. And I think Mikey Johnson, this is actually his life verse. Oh, yeah, I can see so that. that's our youth, uh, that's that. our youth leader, um, if you didn't know that. Uh, very talented kid, but he loves the wrath of God. Yeah, that's a little scary. Yeah. But he, maybe he's a comforting guy, too, like Nahum. Maybe. Now, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, these, these are key verses here. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Mm. He knows those who take refuge in him. Okay, so here's a little more comfort. This makes yeah. sense. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. Dang it. Okay. And will pursue his enemies into darkness. So now you can see here, I think, some of the comfort that comes from the judgment of God. That God... Get, is a refuge, right? Because he protects, because he judges the enemies, he protects those who are his, and he right. ta- he watches over them, he provides for them, he takes care of them. Right. So, what judgment is? God's protection of his of what is most precious to him, mm-hmm. protection of his own glory, yep. first and foremost, right? Protection of his his plan, his people, mm-hmm. his love for us is is shown in the fact that he judges those who seek to destroy us. Right. So there is a, a comfort aspect here, but God is good. And he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Now, verse 15, this may sound familiar. <clears throat> Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. So that's that's a quote from Isaiah, yep. right? So this is a reference back to Isaiah, and, and we see it's in the New Testament as well. But there's a good news being proclaimed. There's a gospel being proclaimed. And so Nahum is, is kind of foreshadowing that there's going to be a good news that will come as well. Now there's a repeat, repeated taunting of Nineveh throughout mm-hmm. the book and it's it's uh, kind of throughout the book he taunts Nineveh and then it's linked with messages of God's love and his salvation for Israel. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of strange. So as you're reading, maybe you read through it again, but kind of notice that. Now uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, let's just read this real quick. This is an interesting 
um, sort of funeral lament mm-hmm. for for Nineveh. Right? It says, "Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunders, no end to the to the prey." Verse three: Horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corse, corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betray nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Mm. So Nineveh has been a, a destructive force in the world, has spread evil, and now God is destroying them. Right. So this is a there's a funeral being held. Nineveh is gone. They're they're dead. And so God's love and faithfulness to Israel is shown in how he judges their enemies. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is very important, right? So God, remember Israel, God fights for him. Mm. God fights is Israel's name. So God is fighting for them. But of course, there's a problem here, which is if they don't repent, if they don't repent, then God's going to bring judgment on them as right. well. So this this is a judgment on, on Nineveh, which is an important thing to protect them. But And also, by the way, Jonah would have loved the book of Nahum. <laughs> he would have been cheering, right? Like, this is what I want. Yes, destroy Nineveh. They're terrible. They're terrible right. people. And happened. so there is there is an aspect of which Jonah was correct about that. And, and who's destroying Nineveh? Um, well, God is destroying Nineveh. I mean, Babylon is destroying yeah. Nineveh. You know, but God, God <laughs> through Babylon. Um, Isn't that crazy that God, like, obviously, like, God is using Assyria and Babylon to take over, like, Israel and the, you know, southern kingdoms, but it's... It's crazy that God's also now defeating them yeah. by one another. So yeah. that's, that's interesting. God's yeah, sovereignty that's how, that's within all the nations and everything. Yeah, he rises up, he tears down. <clears throat> yeah. They had a very short time, you know, in the in the sun, so to speak. Yeah. So so Nahum kind of points to that, points to the need for them to repent as well. Um, as they as they witness the judgment that God has on Nineveh because of their sins. Right. So if Israel is like the nations, mm. then they're gonna receive the same fate. Yep. And at this point they certainly are. Yep. So that's when we get to Habakkuk. Habakkuk speaks to the judgment of Israel. Oh, the cool. judgment of of God's people. Yeah. Again, haven't heard that before. Yep. So not much is known about who Habakkuk was. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually in Longman and Dillard's book, they talk about the different legends that it kind of developed about Habakkuk, about who he might have been. So some say. He was a, a Levite serving the temple. Okay. Some say he was the son of the Shunammite woman who Elisha really? raised from the dead. Wow. The kid is raised from the dead because Habakkuk's name means like embrace or, or hug. Also a very happy name, right? Yeah. Embrace. And so there's a, there's a phrase in, in that uh, story where Elisha embraces, right, to, in order to resurrect him embraces him wow and so there's the people who are oh habakkuk habakkuk that that connection maybe that's where he got his name uh, who knows seems like a jump but fun yeah and some say he's yeah. the watchman in isaiah 21 so okay. there's all these sort of weird theories about it and legends that developed early, pretty early on right these aren't new these are old old yeah. legends so but take take any of them and go with it just go with it man yeah. just go cool. with it yeah but so this is mr hugs that's that's habakkuk <laughs> right mr warm and fuzzy and uh he was written in the late seventh or early sixth <clears throat> century BC, mm-hmm. so this is you know um, this is still one of the earlier books in the Minor Prophets, or earlier half probably. And Habakkuk is essentially asking the question of why God allows evil people to not only avoid judgment but to actually flourish. Hmm. It's a very common question, right? Yeah. We in our day and age we ask why do bad things happen to good people? Right. 
But the question for a lot of history was why do good things happen to bad people? Right. That's that's also just as equally disturbing. Right. And in fact, it's easier to argue someone is bad than that they're good. We're, we're Calvinists, so of course we could. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yep. Um, so there are no good people per se. But God's response to that question is shocking. Mm. It's shocking. It's very interesting. So, <clears throat> so it's written as a dialogue with God. So it's basically structured around a series of exchanges between Habakkuk and God. And then it ends with a psalm with, written by Habakkuk, a beautiful psalm, mm. displaying his trust in God yeah. and, his, and his rest and his faith in God, despite maybe his not understanding fully why God is doing what he's doing. Hmm. Very cool. So should we jump in? Let's do it. So Habakkuk starts with a lament, as I mentioned, about how the wicked prosper. So verse 2, we see Habakkuk saying, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, mm-hmm. or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, mm. for the wicked surround the righteous. And justice goes forth perverted. So yeah, he's saying, you're, yeah. you're not doing anything about this. Oppression and violence, and I'm crying to you, I'm, I'm calling to you, and you don't respond. Right. And so all of a sudden, God does respond. Mm-hmm. God begins a dialogue with Habakkuk. And he essentially says, don't worry, I'm going to judge those that, you, that are prospering right now. Right. So verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Hmm. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. So he starts to go on about the Chaldeans and who they are and how strong and, and powerful they are. So in other words, God is saying, I'm going to fix the problem uh, that you're talking about by bringing judgment mm-hmm. on these people. I'm going to bring judgment on Judah, but I'm going to do it with the Babylonians, mm-hmm. the Chaldeans. So that, that doesn't solve the problem for Habakkuk. His whole question was, why do wicked people... Right. Trample on others. And so you're gonna bring more wicked, like worse people to trample on your people. Right. So this just heightens the question. And God even acknowledges their idolatry, right? Verse eleven, their own might is their God. Mm-hmm. So it makes no sense. These are these aren't be- believers in God. Right. So Habakkuk protests. So there's a there's a, another exchange here, right? So in verse 12, this is the second interaction they have. And he says He's he's upset, right? He says, verse 13, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil mm-hmm. and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? The, the Babylonians are worse. Right? Why would you use them right. and allow them then to escape judgment? Right. And so he's questioning God, and then God responds again in chapter 2, verse, verse uh, 2. So he, he begins to speak to, and this is maybe one of the most important verses in the entire Old Testament. Um, so it's contained here, right? This is quoted so many times in the New Testament in key books at key points. Mm-hmm. So he, he says, write the vision, chapter 2, verse 2, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So he's saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do in the time that I'm going to do it. So just wait. Be patient. Verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Mm. So that's that key verse. Again, theme of Habakkuk. 
Huge theme in the New Testament. Huge verse. The righteous will live by faith. Mm-hmm. So he's saying you need to trust in me, right? You need to trust in me that humans can't understand God's plan. And so the righteous are going to trust that God will keep his promises. Mm-hmm. You you have to trust in God. And this so this is such an important verse. In fact, the Talmud says Moses gave Israel 613 commandments. David reduced them to 10, Isaiah to 2, but Habakkuk to 1. The righteous shall live by faith. Mm. I'd love to hear what they thought with the David and Isaiah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but that, I think that's a, it's a powerful point. And they understood the centrality of that, that faith is what makes you righteous. Faith is what makes you live right. And so right. God is calling his people to trust in him. This mm-hmm. is a central command, right. uh, faith alone, as we would know it. So... He goes on to to issue five woes to the Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. So God is, you know, rebuking the Chaldeans as well and saying that He's going to judge them. So woe and judgment is going to come upon them as well. God's not, you know, excusing them from their sins. And then we see a, a very familiar verse, chapter two, verse fourteen. This is again Isaiah: "For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, as the waters cover the sea." Mm-hmm. So God's going to extend his glory. So he's going to destroy the enemies of Israel, and he will one day restore everything. Right. God is in control, and his glory will reign, and it will be seen. That's God's ultimate purpose. Right. Right. So you have to trust in that. And then the book ends with this final psalm in chapter 3. And it's, it's beautiful, and, God is, and Habakkuk is reflecting on what he's learned and the, the route that he needs to live by faith, mm-hmm. right? So he says in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have, he- I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Mm. So yes, God, you're wrathful now, but remember your mercy. Remember your compassion. Right. Forgive us. And then we see a really beautiful... Uh, Psalm, we won't look at all of it, but at the very end here, verse 16, he says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bone, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Hmm. Right? God is going to judge, just like we saw in Nahum. Yeah. There's comfort to that. And Habakkuk is trusting that God will do that in his time. Yeah. And so he ends with this, verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Hmm. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So he ends with this, you know, this statement of even if everything goes wrong, even though everything fails and we don't have what we need, right. we can always trust in God. That's awesome. And he, and he is worth trusting in even when everything especially when everything else fails right and so we look to him so he demonstrates at the end what it means to to li- be a righteous person who lives by faith mm. amen cool and our uh, last book for today zephaniah huh? zephaniah so Def- zephaniah means <coughs> hidden treasure hidden treasure sure and zephaniah was part of the royal line we see that in chapter 1 verse 1 so this normal sort of stuff the superscription explains who he is mm-hmm this is you don't see a long genealogy like this very often. This is kind of a rare thing. Yeah. But it goes all the way back, right, to Hezekiah, Josiah, right? So Ammon, he's he's of the kingly line. Mm-hmm. 
he's not the rightful king, but but he is in that family. Mm-hmm. And so he's part of the leadership, and he's again going to focus on calling out the leaders mm-hmm. uh, of, of <clears throat> Israel, of Judah, I should say. Yeah. So no, it's hard to be sure about the date of Zephaniah, but he's probably 7th century B.C. Okay. So he's, he's looking to a coming invasion of Judah and the destruction that it's going to bring. So as I mentioned, his name means hidden treasure, and so we're going to see a, a little bit about that, I think. Um, remember that because it will come up a little bit in the book. Themes in this book, oh, sorry, structure, first of all. We see judgment first on Judah and then judgment on the nations, and then there's this final message of salvation. Mm-hmm. And I love, I, I do love Zephaniah. I think it's an underrated book. It focuses on God's salvation through judgment, mm-hmm. so how judgment brings God's salvation. And it has the only time in the Bible where God sings. Interesting. I, I really like that. I like you know, the only time in the Bible where God laughs is Psalm 2, mm-hmm. right, when he's laughing at the nations that rage against him. Yeah. God, when God sings, he's singing over, well, you'll, you'll see. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, um, so themes in this book, Day of the Lord, obviously, judgment, mm-hmm. big theme again, the grace of God, and also the restoration and the remnant. So we're going to see these these themes. So it's it's very in that sense it's sort of typical themes we've seen in the rest of the minor prophets. Hmm. But let's let's get into this. This will be our last book that we cover for today, and then we'll look at how the gospel connects with these passages. So we see um, the day of the Lord is coming, chapter one. So we see it starts off with flood language. So chapter one, verse two: I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Mm-hmm. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So this is this is the same kind of language we saw in the flood. Right. So he's going to uncreate, he's going to return the world to its created creation status, right? To its original form. That's mm-hmm. kind of the idea. And this is a picture of the the worst and most severe kind of judgment. Mm-hmm. So that's what God's going to do. And, and he t- speaks again about the day of the Lord, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Um, so God is the day of the Lord is coming. God's going to judge. And yet there are people in this time that didn't believe that God was going to judge. Hmm. They thought that, that God was, was distant and he didn't care. It's kind of like we, today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the first temptation, right? <laughs> yeah. You will not surely die. Yeah. So uh, verse 12 at that time, he says, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Hmm. God's not doing anything, not good or bad. Their goods shall be plundered, their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. So everything they do is going to be frustrated. Can you imagine planting a vineyard? First of all, can you imagine planting a vineyard? No. That sounds terrible. But can you imagine doing that in order to get some great wine and you never get to drink it? It'd be so sad. Be very Building sad. a house. I can't build a house. You yeah, built a little thing in the shack in the backyard where shack, Caleb lives. A shack, yeah. Yeah, a little, little yeah, doohickey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you imagine putting all this work in and not being able to enjoy it? Horrible. So God's going to frustrate everything they do. <clears throat> and then verse 18, chapter 1, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of God. Ooh. So they've trusted in the wrong things, and it's not going to be able to save them. Right. So how should, how should God's people respond? Chapter 2, verse 3, 
Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, mm. who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Mm. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Mm. Perhaps you may be hidden, right? So what Zephaniah's name means mm. hidden treasure. Perhaps you may be hidden away and, and saved, right? That you are his hidden treasure, mm -hmm. right? If you trust in him, that God's going to protect you. And so we see, you know, more of these woes on the on the nations. And then in chapter three, kind of fast forwarding to the good part, I guess, but <laughs> we see uh, God's mercy. I mean, I, I love this, right? For chapter three, chapter three, verse nine, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So God's going to change their evil, change their, their language. It's interesting phrasing, right? Um, and allow them to serve him with the whole heart. Hmm. He's going to unite them. Verse 11, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. Hmm. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. So you're not going to be ashamed because God's going to cover that, take that away, right. cleanse you. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Hmm. And then it says, they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So that's, this is total salvation. Right. God's going to bring them into the land, make them secure, give them everything they need. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so they, we see here at the end, God singing over his people. Right, Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Hmm. So God is so joyful about his people and the salvation he brings that he's singing over them. Hmm rejoicing in them, taking pleasure in them. God, When God saves, we often think, you know, I think we can think in a formulaic way, right? God does what he's supposed to do, um, right? It's for his glory. It's kind of big picture, but we don't think often, at least I forget sometimes, that God delights in the people he saves. Hmm. God is is overjoyed, right? Like a, like a groom on his wedding day. Right. He's excited about his people. He cares about his people. Hmm. And so he sings over them, he protects them, and he's merciful to them. And then it's, it ends with uh, verse 19, Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. Mm. So God's going to, to bring his people back and give them what they've lost, right? Yeah. And give them so much more. Because, of course, having God is the most important thing, and he's the source of all of that. So God's going to bless them, make them fruitful. It's just a beautiful picture at the end, oh, yeah. right? And I love that. I love how there's this pattern of God's going to judge, but through that he's going to work his salvation right. for his people. That promise is always there, yeah. and that's what we can trust in. That's awesome. So how do we see the New Testament here? Obviously, you can, you can see some of it, but um, yeah, and Nahum and Bacchic and Zephaniah. Yeah, so with, with Nahum, I thought of, of you know, God as a warrior who fights for his people. And we do see this, this picture in the New Testament, right? I think about Revelation 19, um, where we see in you know, a picture of Jesus at the end. And he's not the same, he's not the same posture that he was in when he was on earth, right? right. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, 
The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. It, it, verse 13, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, mm-hmm. and the name by which he's called is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him on white horses. I mean, this is a powerful image, to right. say the least, right? Was it, isn't, was it Nahum where he's on a red horse or something at the beginning? Oh, I think I think you're thinking of Zechariah. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll get to the horses yep. and Zechariah. There's one of these minor prophets. Yeah, <clears throat> so... Just an amazing, amazing picture at the end. And we do see, you know, we can go into the rest of Revelation 19, but that there's going to be a battle fought at the end by Jesus Christ. Right. That he will fight the battle and win the war at the very end of history. Mm -hmm. So he is a warrior. He's a warrior who fights for his people. Right. We don't just mean that metaphorically. We mean it also in the very literal sense at the end of time. Right. So the fact that, again, that God is a judge is a comfort. It is a comfort, and it is a compassion to us because there are enemies that have to be destroyed, uh, ultimately spiritual ones, right, mm-hmm. that have to be destroyed in order for us to receive the life, full life from God. Right. And God will stop at nothing to eradicate them. That's yeah. a comforting thing. Yeah, super comforting. So Nahum you know, points us to that. Habakkuk, you know, that question of why does evil triumph, right? Why do, e- why do good things happen to bad people? And, and bad people get, it seems like, free reign to do evil. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, I mean, there's no place where that's more clearly seen than in the death of Jesus. Right. Right? That they would be asking the same question of, why would a perfectly righteous person, Jesus Christ, die at the hands of sinful people? Why would God allow them to fulfill their evil intent against him? Mm-hmm. And yet it's in the cross, it's in the suffering of the righteous and the temporary, it seems like, victory of the evil that God's ultimate victory has worked. Right. right. That God's able to bring his righteousness to forgive his people and to ultimately defeat evil as well. Right. So that that question, wherever you're at in life, right? Whatever whatever you're wrestling with, because we all wrestle with that, I'm sure, mm-hmm. of why is there suffering to people who seem good? Why is there success for those who seem bad? That's all resolved on the cross. Mm-hmm. Because God enters into our suffering in order to redeem us from our suffering right. and to take every moment of suffering and to work that for good, ultimately speaking. Right. Yeah, God's in control and he has a plan and it's a good plan. You know? Yeah. And of course, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, again, yep. quoted so many times, but just a, a reminder for us in so many books of the Bible that God gives righteousness to his people. Mm-hmm. Not by the, not by the works they do, but by their faith in Him. Right. So this, I mean, it's pr- very prominent in Galatians, right? That the the righteous will live by faith, and so um, we shouldn't be focused first and foremost on how good we are, how we're living for for Christ. But f- the first thing we should focus on is: Are we trusting in Him? Mm-hmm. Do we rely on Him for salvation? Do we know that it's all due to Him? Right. And do we live in an overflow of gratitude from that right. and a response of, of new life given because that we are righteous by faith? Mm-hmm. So that, that's, yeah, again, that's such a big, uh, big phrase in the New Testament. And then for Zeph- Zephaniah, I, just, I see this, this theme of the ingathering of the nations, right? That God's going to bring in people from outside of Israel and, and bless them, mm-hmm. right, and redeem them. Galatians 3, 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospels beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So hmm. God's going to bring in people from outside of his people, and it's going to be by faith. Hmm. So we see these themes uh, building throughout the minor prophets and really gaining, um, I don't know, a new vivid, uh, vividity, is that a word? Vividness, yeah. um, but clarity through the words of these minor prophets. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and we're just going over the same story we've already heard, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just digging in deeper and, and showing us the hope that God is planning for his people. So that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. Please join us next week for our last episode for this season. We'll see you next week.